Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. That's right, boys and girls. It's that time again. This is Tyler Chef, and I am the host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. And guys, this week I'm going to talk to you about a little fifty thousand dollar lesson. Uh, basically, how I made, how we made, I should say, me, my my seller, my client made fifty grand off one Facebook post. I'm a, I'll be honest with you guys, right out of the gate, I can't stand social media. I hate everything about it. I do like to keep up with what's going on with people, friends and whatnot. That's cool. But I really don't care what they had for dinner. I don't care about the political stuff and all the hoo-ha and the drama and the negativity on social media. But I got to tell you, today's story, I'm gonna, it's a short story. I'm not going to take very much of your time. But I'm going to explain how leveraging social media out of the blue wound up getting us $50,000 more for a house that we recently sold. And it's important. And uh, I mean, 50 grand is 50 grand, right? So before I list a property or when I'm, if I'm doing a flip or I'm buying any property, I'm obviously going to take a look at comparable sales. That's important, right? I want to know what other people have done in the market. I don't put a whole lot of weight in that because I look at several things. I'm an income uh, investor. I buy for cash flow, So I'm not as concerned about sales price of properties uh, more concerned in how they rent and the track record, but it's a good idea to understand where you fit. And as a realtor, maybe you're flipping houses or you're wholesaling or whatever you're doing, comparable sales mean are a big deal. But here's the thing, what you find in your searches guys is not always accurate. And by that, I mean, a lot of times, a lot of information is just not there. I don't care what data source you're using. Um, information is not there. And a good example of that is, Recently, I had this property that I sold, and I looked up in public records. I looked up an MLS. One of the MLS ran solds, comparable solds. And just to give you guys some feedback on how I do a market analysis or how I determine property value based on comparable sales, I first do a search within a quarter mile of the property that I'm trying to sell okay, uh, or trying to find the value for if I'm buying it. So I'll do a quarter mile. Why do I do quarter mile? Well, because FHA appraisal guidelines dictate that you should start with the smallest radius, see if you can find comparable sales that make sense. And if you can't, then you go then you expand out. So if I can't find something in a quarter mile, maybe I'll expand out to a half a mile, to one mile, two miles, whatever. Obviously, if I'm in Ottumwa, Iowa, I may not have a comparable sale if I've got a weird property or a big property that's bigger than all the other properties in the area. So maybe I'll have to expand my search. Regardless, I'm going to slowly go out in radius until I find three or four, maybe five good comparable sales. Then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find properties that are in similar condition to mine, right? Like kind. What does that mean? Well, if I just got done fixing and and fixing a property, I'm getting ready to flip it and mine's gorgeous. I'm going to look for other sales comparisons that are gorgeous like mine, right? I'm not going to compare it to some foreclosure or some crack house or meth lab or something like that. I'm going to compare it to something that's nice, that's dialed in, that's recently renovated. It's got new floor coverings and updated kitchens, and maybe it has a new roof. Um, I'm going to look for those first. If I'm if I'm looking for uh, post-repair value, after-repair value, or fixed-up value, those are the comps I'm going to look for. You know, looking for something that's tore up, you're going to get varying degrees of torn up. So it's basically I look for rehabbed or not rehabbed. And when I mean rehabbed, I mean recently, not rehabbed in 1990. I mean rehabbed recently, like in the last, I don't know, year or two, maybe three. So I'm going to look at those comparables. Then I'm going to go into the tax collector's office, or I'm sorry, the property appraiser's office for the county that I'm working in. And if you're in some areas like uh, 
city of Memphis, for example, the city also maintains such records. So you could, there's lots of data points out there that are government run and they're free to your, they're at, at your disposal. You might as well use them. At least take a look at them and see if there's something in there that makes sense. Another tool I use and I absolutely love is uh, PropStream. You guys have heard me talk about PropStream. I use that thing every day. When I'm down here in Key West, I'm looking for opportunity. My nose is buried in PropStream and I am using the data mining that's available in PropStream to search both MLS and property public records at the same time. So I'm looking for recorded sales things that maybe didn't sell with a realtor. And there's still a fair number of properties that sell every day without a realtor. All you wholesalers doing deals, those usually don't go in the MLS unless they were listed and then sold and the wholesaler is just the buyer. But generally speaking, properties that are not sold on the MLS, you don't see that sold value openly listed anywhere except for the individual municipality, the county or the city of where the property is located. It'll be there in the public records. But sometimes, guys, that data is a little bit of a challenge to track down or to sort through and, and to try to get radius searches. It doesn't always work in every market. I've seen good, bad, and indifferent. Here in Florida, the Monroe County one is okay. It's not the greatest. Uh, Pinellas County, not the greatest. Pasco County, ironically, is really good. And so is Hillsborough County, and those encompass uh, like Newport, Ritchie, Tampa, those areas. Their, their county records are pretty darn good, I got to say. Uh, some of the best I've seen. Memphis, Tennessee. Not so much. Looks like a fourth grader wrote it in 1972, the codes for those websites. I digress. I use different data points. I use Zillow. Yes, I use Zillow because sometimes, for whatever reason, data will show up on Zillow that doesn't show up anywhere else. I can't explain why this is, guys. I'm not a computer programmer, but you look at different data sources, you're going to get different information. So in this case, I looked everywhere. I looked at all the different information that's out there, so I wanted to make sure I didn't leave any money on the table. The seller in this case is a buddy of mine. He's a student of mine. He's now a partner of mine in the Key West cash flow down here in Key West. He and I are teamed up to do value-add properties to buy and fix up and hold and then dispose of value-add properties down here in Key West. I want to make sure that I really do a good job for him. I mean, this is a new, relatively new relationship. We've known each other for many years, but it's really the first time we've really done business together, right? So I want to make sure I blow him out of the water, and I want to do that with any of my clients. Um, I, I don't want to leave money on the table. I treat them like my own. So trust me, I turned over every stone looking for any other comparable sales. I'm watching the news just like everybody else. And I realize that the market's hot, right? I usually tell my clients that I think it's a good idea that they get an appraisal. And if they get an appraisal, I will reimburse them for the appraisal, the cost of the appraisal at the closing table. Why is that? Well, because I use it as a marketing tool. A lot of times I will get the appraisal. If the seller's happy with the results, we will market it saying it's listed below appraisal for a fast sale. Everybody loses their mind and can't wait to buy it. And then it gets sold. It gets top dollar. It gets into a bidding war. Everybody's happy, right? And in those rare instances, when an appraiser comes in from the bank and doesn't give an appraisal that we agree with, I have some evidence, right? I can push back. I can fight back. And I've been quite successful over the years uh, by using this method. It works really well for me. So in this case, in this property came back, it appraised at 320000 Interestingly enough, that was a lot more money than the seller thought the house was worth because like most folks, he's going to Zillow and looking at uh, the Zillow result, which was, I don't know, it was like a hundred and some odd thousand dollars less. Uh, interestingly enough, when we listed the property, Zillow's estimate went through the ceiling. And now if you look at this estimate for that house, I think it says like 390 or something, even more than we sold it for. So they're all over the place, but it's still a valid data point, right? It's still an opinion of value. 
And you, that when you're selling something of value, the one thing you got to think about is your buyer is looking for third-party validation. People don't know what houses sell for unless they're appraisers. Hell, realtors don't know what houses sell for unless they search that that particular neighborhood. I mean, if I tell you, you know, I don't know Chicago in the on Fifth Street in Chicago, I'm selling something for four hundred. The knee-jerk reaction is that's too much. Every buyer says that's too much. They don't know what the hell they property sell for, but they just knee-jerk. They don't know what else to say except for that's too much. Um, that's the way our brains are programmed as humans, right? We always want to just automatically, whatever the asking price is, well, good gravy, that's too much. What are you crazy smoking crack? What's wrong with you? Realistically, that's why it's so important to use several data points to get a clear understanding of what something should reasonably sell for, what things are selling for in the market, because that's the same data point that buyers are going to be looking for. And if you're a buyer, that's where you're going to get your opinion of whether it's too high or not. Okay. In this case, we didn't find anything else that was worth looking at that was higher than the appraisal or more relevant than what was in the appraisal. So we went with 320 grand. I mean, that's logical, right? You have a licensed appraiser, a guy does or a girl does $2,500 of 2,500 hours of appraisal services. They've got all this experience, good gravy. They got a bachelor's degree. They're clearly uh, on their game. And if they say it was worth 320, the seller doesn't argue. Who might argue? Well, guess what? I did a social media post the day, the morning after I listed the property, I set it to go live in the morning. And as I'd said in a previous episode, one of my buddies, my Facebook friends, uh, he reached out to me and, on the, and said, Hey man, what a great deal they're getting. So I responded in private message. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, turns out he bought, he had bought and sold the house across the street that, and the deal wasn't yet closed on the sales side of it for 365,000. So he bought the house across the street for, I don't know, a couple hundred grand. He did a very light rehab on it. Didn't do all kinds of major overhaul, but he sold that thing. His girlfriend's a realtor and she sold it off market as a pocket listing for 365 grand. And my house, not my particular house, but the house I was selling, although it was smaller than his house, my house was really nice. I mean, it was all dialed in. Everything's new. So logic would dictate that if he could get 365, I should be able to at least get close to that. Um, Granted, my house is smaller, a couple hundred square foot smaller. So when it comes down to brass tacks, we might, lose a couple dollars in the fact that we're significantly smaller. But bottom line is that's a far cry from 320. So I called the seller and said, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of flack for this, but I don't really care. I would like to raise the price in your house if you agree, because you're going to make, you know, $50,000 more. And you can imagine his response. He's like, yeah, that'll work. And that's what we did, right? So yes, we got some pushback from realtors. They freaked out a little bit, but whatever. I, in the, my shoes, they would do the same thing. And frankly, if it was their house, they wouldn't walk away and leave 50 grand on the table. Really, any complaint they would have is really not even nobody's even going to pay attention to. It's like, dude, would you leave $50,000 on the table for your house? The answer is no. Who would? But here's the thing. If I had not used social media, first of all, I never would have known about this sale, which means I never would have raised the price to 370 because I consider myself a guy who really knows what he's doing when it comes to real estate. But guys, I'm no miracle worker. You know, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. And the sale, my the guy that was my contact, he bought and turned around this house so fast that the sale had not yet been recorded anywhere in public records. Anywhere. It wasn't there to be rec- to be seen. So there's no way possible I would have known about this this comparable sale 
which made a $50,000 difference in what mine would sell for had it not been for the Facebook post that I put out there. And more importantly, that I had my network large enough such that he would trip over it. And my reputation is such that he wanted to help me because he knows I'm a guy that likes to give back to the community. And I prefer to consider myself a selfless person. I'm out there. I educate you guys for free every week for the last almost five years now. I give a lot. I give a lot back. I've been very blessed. People have reached out and helped me in huge ways, more people than I could count. Uh, people like Larry Harbold, I can go on and on and on. Uh, Kevin Overstreet, Sean Yesner, all these people that are service providers of mine, friends of mine, people that have just taught me so much about real estate. I look up to mentors of mine um, have reached out to me. So the best I could do, I got to give back. That's just the right thing to do. And here's a perfect case to where I post something on social media that I just listed this property. Rob knows of me. I don't, I think we met at a real estate meeting once or twice, but it's not like we're out hanging out and drinking beer all the time. Uh, not, not my best friend. I, I barely know the guy, but uh, his, that he was able to feed me that piece of information. And more importantly, the guy comes back and says, and I have an appraisal I'm like, sweet. Would you mind sending me the appraisal? So here's the cool part. Now that I have this rapport already built up with him, he's seen me on social media. He knows I'm not some fly by night jackass. He knows I know what I'm doing, trying to do right by my seller. He provides me with the appraisal that his buyer gave him when he sold the house to them. So I now have an appraisal for his house at 375 grand. So what do I do? The appraiser calls me to get in to see my, my buddy's house, uh, Mike's house, uh, the house I'm selling. And I said to her, I'm like, Hey, I told about this because she asked me the question flat out. She's like, why did you raise the price 50 grand? And, you know, I'm trying to figure out a polite way to say, because we're greedy capitalist pigs, but no, really. Um, and that was, I basically laughed. I'm like, well, because we found out the property house across the street appraised for 375 and sold for 365. And I have a copy of the appraisal. If you'd like to see it, she goes, I would like to see it. Had a great conversation with the appraiser, built rapport with the appraiser. She asked me lots of qualifying questions to realize that I'm not your typical realtor. I'm not some fly-by-night idiot. I've been doing this a day or two, and I have a pretty good, strong opinion on value that's based in fact, right? Rooted in fact. So my opinion to the appraiser comes with credibility. I leveraged that credibility, and I'm sure she probably Google, probably Google searched me and realized that I've been doing this podcast for many years. I've been a realtor for many years. I've primarily spent most of my time as an active real estate investor, yada, yada, yada. Long story short, she agreed and appraised the property at the agreed purchase price, 370 grand. So the end of the story guys is, you know, I don't like social media either. I just can't stand that. It. it makes me nauseous. But if you're out there doing good things and you're out there spreading goodwill and offering value on social media, when you have things for sale or you're looking to buy things, leverage social media to do that. Okay. Um, if I can't begin to tell you, how many different types of scenarios like this over the last, I don't know how long I've been on social media, I think, I think since 2006, have these things have cropped up. I've sold properties, I've got deals this way, I've had people invest in my deals this way. Social media is a great tool. What These days, I don't think of social media as social. For me, it is a business tool. I think of social media as a business tool. The reason why I do that, I'm going to wrap up with this. I think of social media as a business tool because I don't get mad at it as much when I think of it purely as a business tool. I don't really pay much attention to social media in my off time. 
lately I've started reading books again instead. I've got a goal to read uh, a book a week uh, this year, 52 books. I'm way behind on that, admittedly, but I'm doing my best. But I'm spending less time on social media, more time in, in personal development. I realize I always have lots to learn. I will always have lots to learn, I hope, because I don't ever want to live a day where I think I know everything. That's dangerous. But guys, get out there and do good things and leverage that social media. Let people know what you're up to. People pay attention to what's going on in social media. Think of it strictly as a business operated as such, which means you're not going to put on the, your Facebook profile. If you're truly business-minded, you're not going to post about politics and who's allowed in whose bathroom and black, white, Hispanic, and all that stuff isn't going to belong on your social media because here's the thing. Nobody really cares what you have to think or what you have to say and what you think uh, in most cases. So leave it off of there. Treat your social media like the front door of your business. Don't put a bunch of stuff on there that's inflammatory that would upset people. Instead, go out there and use your social media platform to add value. I know it's a release to put that stuff on there and go, I hate Donald Trump or I hate Joe Biden or whatever, whoever you hate this week. Um, leave it off your profile, guys. Keep it business only. Forget it. Nobody really cares what you had for dinner anyway. So skip all that. Put out good quality content to people. As you learn things, share them. You guys are out there doing stuff all the time. You're learning new stuff. Give your fellow man and woman, your fellow investor, a little nugget here and there. Throw some information out there. Spread some goodwill and be the ambassador of goodwill, guys. This is how you're going to get it done. Have a great week. I'll catch up with you next time. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.